Judges chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jerubal, went to his mother's brothers at Shechem and spoke to them and to all his maternal grand grandfather's clan, saying, Please speak in the presence of all the lords of Shechem. Is it better for you that seventy men, all the sons of Jerubal, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the presence of all the lords of Shechem, and they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him seventy pieces of silver from the temple of Balbereth. Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men with this money, and they followed him. They went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed his seventy brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, his youngest son of Jer the youngest son of Jerubbabel, survived because he hid himself. Then all the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak at the pillar of Shechem. I want to stop there and just speak a little bit about what's going on here. Now we to Abimelech back in chapter 8 verse 31 where we learned that he was the son of one of Gideon's concubines who lived in Shechem. Here now in the beginning of this passage we're given a brief description of his rise to power and after the death of his father. Now from the moment he returned home to his mother, he was determined to set up his own kingdom using a carefully planned strategy. And these were his three strategies that we see here. His first strategic move, Abimelech secured the support of all his relatives from his mother's side. His intent was to split the two sides of his family apart so that his mom's side would side with him and elevate him into the throne. However, to fully accomplish this, he knew he would also have to kill the relatives, his relatives from his father's side, again, to make, this, to make this happen. His second strategic move, Abimelech enlisted his relatives to secure the support of the main leaders of Shechem. He did, he did this by dictating to his mother's relatives a speech they were to give the city's leaders that would appeal to their intelligence and their pride. The rule of one man is better than the rule of 70, and the rule of a relative is better than the rule of an outsider. It was Abimelech's intent to show them that there was no one else more qualified than himself because he was their own brother. He was their own flesh and blood. Well, the family agreed to be the spokesman, relayed the message to the city leaders, and successfully convinced them. In a show of support, they gave Abimelech 70 shekels from their idle temple treasury to get rid of the existing rulership. With it, Abimelech hired hitmen and offered one shekel or one piece of silver for each targeted victim. Now his third strategic move. Abimelech led hitmen in slaughtering 69 of his father's sons now this was a well-calculated and brutal act. It was simply, it was complete murder. It wasn't a quick slaughter of unsuspecting victims. His strategy worked. Abimelech achieved his goal and was officially proclaimed king 
by the aristocracy of Shechem. So now, this simple son of one of his father's concubines had now become king of a powerful city. The beginning of this passage shows us the extent a person is willing to go to achieve power and influence. Whether it's in the workplace, in politics, and even in the church, there will be sat dissatisfied people who will do anything to put themselves in a position to change the status quo. I think it's important to consider Abimelech's characteristics so we could avoid putting someone or maybe even putting ourselves in a position where we don't belong or where they don't belong. Abimelech was a hustler, a manipulator, manipulator and was ethically and morally corrupt. Now what's a hustler? Hustlers are schemers who carefully plan everything out and they'll say and do and they'll say and do anything to get what they want. They'll intentionally make promises they can't keep and will throw others under the bus for their own failures. Proverbs 24.8 says, The one who plots evil will be called the schemer. And so what about manipulators? A manipulator will use a person's feelings and emotions to get what they want. They'll use people, the people around them to convince, to convince um, them to believe something. They otherwise wouldn't and make them feel guilty for not complying. In Romans 16 18, Paul wrote, Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. An unethical and immoral person will use any means necessary to achieve a desired outcome, regardless of who gets hurt along the way. They'll rob, cheat, steal, and possibly kill to get what they want. Of these, Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. Now for us, as Christians, we are to be the very antithesis of those who act like this. Instead of being schemers, instead of being scheming hustlers, we are to be sincere, honest, and have integrity. It says in 2 Corinthians 8.21, for we, we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Instead of manipulative, we are to look for the well-being of others. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Instead of unethical and immoral, we ought to hold ourselves at a higher standard as followers of Christ. We're told in Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, make yourself an example of good works, integrity, and dignity in your teaching and also in your behavior. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will, will be ashamed, having nothing to say about us. Well, 
Abimelech's plan to kill off 70 of his half-brothers didn't go exactly as planned. One of them, Gideon's youngest son, managed to survive by hiding. And after Abimelech was made king, he paid a visit to these leaders in Shechem. So let's pick up in verse 7 and see and read what he had to say. Judges chapter 9 verse 7. When they told Jotham, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim, raised his voice and called to them. Listen to me, lords of Shechem, and may God listen to you. The trees set out to anoint a king over themselves. They said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I stop giving my oil that honors both God and man and rule over the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I stop giving my sweetness and my good fruit and rule over trees? Later, the tree said to the grapevine, come and reign over us. But the grapevine said to them, should I stop giving my wine that cheers both God and man and rule over these trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, if you really are anointing me as king over you, Come and find refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the setters of Lebanon. Now, if you have acted faithfully and honestly in making Abimelech king, if you have done well by Jerubbabel and his family, and if you have rewarded him appropriately for what he did, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and now you have attacked my father's house today, killed his 70 sons on top of a large stone and made Abimelech, the son of his slave, king over the lords of Shechem because he is your brother. If then you have acted faithfully and honestly with Jerubbabel and his house and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech and may, be, may he also rejoice in you. But if not, may fire come from Abimelech and consume the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo and may fire come from the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham, Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and lived there because of his brother Abimelech. As the sole survivor of Abimelech's purge, Gideon's, Gideon's youngest son confronts the leaders of Shechem and challenges the, their integrity for supporting Abimelech. Jotham begins his speech with a fable. Now, a fable is a short prose or poem meant to teach a moral lesson involving animals or plants behaving like people. This particular fable is about a group of trees in search of a ruler whom they may anoint as king. The olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine are initially asked but all three reject the invitation by saying they were designed to bear fruit and not be king. See, they understood their purpose. They knew what they were meant to do. And as a result, they didn't want anything to do with ruling over all the other trees. After dis being disappointed by the three honorable trees, the desperate trees turn to the bramble tree, 
Now, if you don't know what a bramble tree is, just a group of thorns. It's just a, a, a or long, or just a. Yeah, I would say the best description I can give you is just um, uh, a large bush of, of, of thorns. And so he asked them, they turned to, to them, to, these, to this bramble tree, to, roll to rule over them. Now, unlike the earlier plants, this bramble tree initially doubts the sincerity of the invitation. However, not only does it readily accept the invitation, it promises refuge for all the other plants, but it does another thing. It also demands their submission. In addition, the bramble tree threatens fiery destruction on even the greatest of all trees, the setters of Lebanon, if that submission isn't given. This lesson of the fable was to point out that the more qualified trees were simply not willing to lead such a sorry group of miserable trees. Jotham was essentially using this story as a backhanded swipe against the leaders of Shechem. After telling them this fable, Jotham then applies it to the present situation by setting up two scenarios. Scenario one, if the people acted appropriately in the, re in the recent events, he declares nothing but blessings for them. He tells them, if you did, Rejoice in Abimelech, and may he also rejoice in you. The second scenario, if they, if they haven't, which he knows is the case, he declares a curse that fire and Abimelech to destroy each other. The episode involving, this episode involving Jotham concludes by telling, telling us that after having invoked the curse upon Shechem and Abimelech, Jotham, Jotham flees for his life and goes to Beer. He knew that, he knew now that his brother Abimelech would certainly not let up in his crusade against him as the last survivor of his family. Jotham's perspective on kingship is just as relative today for anyone desiring to one day hold a powerful position in leadership. And even if it's not a powerful position, any position of leadership, he wants to make it clear, and I'm speaking of Jotham in his, in his um, perspective, he wants to make it clear that if the motives, of, motives are other than sincere, it'll end up causing more harm than good. In Jotham's view, Kingship was a destructive position that shouldn't be coveted and ought to be avoided, especially by those unqualified for it. The biggest reason the young and ambitious fail after reaching the pinnacle of success is because they neglected to prepare for what they'd experience once they got there. Famous playwright George Bernard Shaw once wrote, once said, power does not corrupt men. Fools, however, if they get into a position of power, corrupt power. In my case, when it comes to p people that are in positions of leadership, I've discovered that the most influential leaders that have positively changed my life
weren't those who had power over me. It was those who helped me become a better father, a better husband, and a better Christian. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 41, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. Another lesson we can learn from Jotham's speech is that rulers will tend to desire power for the wrong reasons. People will often seek positions of leadership to satisfy their own narcissistic self-interests. In Luke chapter 20, verses 46 through and 47, Jesus used the example of the religious scribes to describe such people. There he said, beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes who love greetings in the marketplaces, the front seats in synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' house, houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive greater punishment. And Jotham's fable is not only an attack on a certain kind of rulers, but it's also a jab on those who are foolish enough to appoint an unqualified leader. It's been said, people tend to get, to get the leaders they deserve. In other words, God will give people a good government when they deserve it, and he will, give bad, he will give people a bad government when they deserve that. And here's what I mean. I know that may sound a little confusing, but what, what they deserve, what the people deserve, depends upon what they ask for and how it's asked. You see, although God is ultimately so sovereign over governments, He gives people what they demand by giving them what they think they want. The story of the prodigal son is a good example of God giving people what they demand if it's the only way they could learn. When the Shechemite leaders took matters into their own hands, God gave them what they deserved. And it was only a matter of time before they realized the mistake they made in choosing Abimelech as their king. Now the rest of the story, beginning from verses 22 all the way to verse 57, um, you can see it's kind of lengthy. Now instead of being up here and reading it all, I'm going to try my best to just summarize it for you. In this final section, we're told that Abimelech's nefarious actions caught up to him and how it led to his eventual demise. Verses 22 to 25 show us that Abimelech's kingship didn't go as smooth as he or the leaders of Shechem expected. Within three years of his rule, the honeymoon was over and now they couldn't stand each other. The nobles of Shechem secretly undermined Abimelech because of what he did to his half-brothers. So they sought to make his reign more difficult by setting ambushes to rob the caravans 
that came through Shechem. These ambushes would have stripped Abimelech of his economic resources and he would have seen them as a direct insult of his kingship. In verses 26 to 33, we see the account of how an elder in Shechem named Gaal began to publicly belittle Abimelech, challenged the people to follow him, and even dared Abimelech to oppose him. Zebul, Abimelech's second-in-command, discovered what Gaal had, had been doing. He warned Abimelech and then advised him to go out and attack Gaal and the city leaders who were supporting him. Verses 34 to 41 then informs us that Abimelech's decision to respond to Gaal's challenge, that, that Abimelech decided to go ahead and respond to Gaal's challenge, and it tells you the details surrounding that initial battle. But by the end of that battle, Gaal was soundly defeated by Abimelech, and his retreating forces are killed as they flee back into the city. Zebul, Zebul is able to gain control of Shechem and forces Gael and his brothers out. Verses 42 to 49 then tell us about the next phase of the battle where Abimelech and his soldiers set up an ambush for the people living in the city in the field outside Shechem. As soon as the common people leave the city and enter the fields, Abimelech's companies cut off their escape route by securing the city gate. Now as they trap them from entering back into the city, two other companies attack those who were in the field and slaughter them. So while all this was going on outside in the field, the city elite who were inside the city flee to the inner chamber, inner chamber of their temple, which is inside their, their city's strongest tower. When Abimelech enters the city, he chooses to kill them by setting fire to it. And when he does, he kills about a thousand men and women. This victory is decisive. The city is captured and the people are, the people are killed and his structures are destroyed. But in his vindictiveness, in Abimelech's vindictiveness, he also destroys and dismantles the capital of his kingdom. The cap he destroys Shechem, the city where he was supposed to have his kingdom. He destroys it. He sows salt over it as a, as a symbol of total defeat. In verses 50 to 55, then tells us the, about the demise of Abimelech. In his quest to drive out those who opposed him, Abimelech attacks and captures the city of Thebes, Thebes. In the process, some of the men, women, and leaders of the city also flee into their strong tower, and, but they, this time they uh, flee to the top, make it to the top of that tower. In the process, um, okay, so when Abimelech comes to attack it and set it on fire, an unnamed woman throws the upper portion of a millstone on Abimelech's head and fractures his skull. 
Realizing that he was about to die, he couldn't bear the humiliating thought that, he, that the credit for his death would be given to a foreign woman. But not even that she was a, a foreigner, but that she was a woman. For him, that would have been dishonorable, and it was just a humiliating thought. So he commands his personal attendant, his armor bearer, to stab him with his sword, and the young attendant dutifully obliged. But nevertheless, the man who had accomplished so much in such a short amount of time fell victim to a woman. Now seeing their leader slain, Abimelech's men abandoned the siege of the tower and just go home. In the final two verses, the author informs the reader how all the elements of Jotham's curse have been fulfilled. For the first time in the book of Judges, God's divine retribution for the wickedness of both Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem is clearly seen. Although both got what they wanted, in the end, everyone ended up losing. The principle is that God is just in working out the consequences of people's sins. Now within this long passage, also see three important truths that we can be sure about. Truth number one, God will not allow the wicked to go unpunished. We can be certain that God will repay wickedness either in this life or in the life to come. God finds a way to do it both in this life and in the life to come. It says in Isaiah 3.11, but the wicked are doomed or they will get exactly what they deserve. And in Proverbs 5.22, it says a wicked man's iniquities entrap him. He is entangled with the ropes of his own sin. So whenever you see on TV or you look around your jobs or your schools and you see wicked people prospering, don't worry or don't let it discourage you. Don't let it bother you because God is going to repay, repay them for their wickedness. Everyone will one day be accountable for everything they've done. God will repay everyone all wicked, all wicked behavior, every evil act they've done. Truth number two, God will hold leaders accountable for their actions. All those whom God places in positions of power and authority will be judged on a strict basis. God said in Isaiah 3.11, I will bring disaster on the, on the world and their own iniquity on the, on the wicked. I will put the end to the pride of the arrogant and humiliate the insolence of tyrants. However, the judgment will be greater for those who lead within the church. And for me, as I, I understand this, and it's, it is, it's a heavy burden, that it, there is a much more stricter standard that there's there will be a much more stricter judgment on those who lead within the church 
James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who, teached, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Knowing this, that's why I want to be able to, to represent my Lord and Savior to you all with everything, uh, with all my heart, in my life, everything that I do and say, I know that God will judge me on a stricter basis. And if I didn't understand that, I wouldn't be standing here right now teaching. But God, this is what God has called me to do. And I know that as long as I keep my eyes on Him, He will give me the strength that I need. And that, again, He will be with me. Truth number three, we have a king whose kingdom is yet to come. Unlike Abimelech who gained his kingship through manipulation, dishonesty, and murder, Jesus Christ gained his kingship by sacrificing himself for us. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, He is the perfect example of what a true king is like. And as our king, Jesus is compassionate. He's loving. He's merciful, wise, humble, obedient, patient, and forgiving. And one day soon, he will return to establish his earthly kingdom. And before he does, he calls on people everywhere to willingly, to willingly come to him, to believe in him, and make him their king. Those who do, Colossians chapter 1, verse, verses 13 and 14 tells us, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and trans transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Him. Abimelech failed. He failed miserably at being the king he hoped he'd be. But Jesus succeeded and has the door open for anyone wanting to be part of His kingdom. And these doors are open for anyone to come in. They're open to anybody who wants to, to come into his kingdom this morning. All you have to do is take that first step and enter into it, that step of faith and enter in, into it. It says in Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists 
and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. If you've never done that, if you've never taken that step, and you want God to change your life, you want him to be, become, you want him to be the king of your life, do it this morning. Believe me, he won't disappoint you. He's not like Abimelech. He's not like any other king or he's not like any other president or any other ruler that we've ever had. He is faithful. He is true. He, was ju he is just. He will watch over you. He will take care of you. He will strengthen you. He will guide you. Look to Jesus this morning. Accept him into your life. Make him the Lord and Savior of your heart, of your life. Let's pray. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. If there's anybody out there watching or listening that has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you want to take that step of faith. In the quietness of your heart, wherever you're at, just pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I come before you and confess that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that Almighty God raised you from the dead. I know that you have forgiven me for my sins and I, and I now know that you have forgiven me for my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Lord, I pray for all those who prayed that. May they come to know you personally. May they come to know you as a friend, as their king, as their savior. Lord, I pray for all those that are here. May they be the light and salt in their schools and their jobs, at home. Lord, give them the strength they need, the encouragement that they need. Bless this week, Lord. Watch over us, protect us, protect our friends, our families. And continue to fill us with your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.